I'm Kiana Peruz, head of marketing at We Are Rosie and co-curator of Before We Were Banned. Welcome to season two of the Rosie Report podcast, where we pass the mic in every episode. Here's how it works. Guests from the week before will talk to another rebel for good, changemakers who bravely opted out of traditional employment and turned their life's work towards a mission that is also changing the paradigm of work. Welcome to the first episode of the season. This week, I'm so excited to chat with Lorraine Charles, co-founder and executive director of NAMAL, which provides support for refugees and other vulnerable populations to access dignified livelihoods, particularly remote work. Wow. Welcome to the Rosie Report podcast, Lorraine. Thank Let's you. Let's get into it. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. Lorraine, how would you best describe what you do with Namal? So, you know, as you described, we support refugees to help them access employment. A lot of the refugees that we, we focus on live in places where it's difficult for them to access employment, whether it's because of protectionist labor market mechanisms, which means they can't work legally, or whether there's just a lack of jobs, lack of opportunity where they live. It's very difficult for refugees, and I'm just speaking in the Middle East and, and, and some parts of Africa, to access employment. Another big obstacle is the skills gap. A lot of refugees just don't have the skills to help them navigate this space. We all know that the world of work is changing, the future, future of work, the future of jobs. And even people with traditional education backgrounds, with traditional um, lives, was, are struggling to adapt to this new world of work especially with COVID, we've really hit a point where we have to reconceptualize the way we work, but also what we learn to access this work. So I'm trying to empower refugees and other vulnerable populations living in refugee hosting communities to navigate this space. But also more importantly, a lot of migration happens because of lack of opportunity. A lot, all of the, all of the things we see people you know, flooding to the borders of Europe. Yes, they, they flee because of because they fear, you know, because of f- f- political reasons, but also they flee because there aren't any opportunities where they are. And a lot of them don't want to leave. They want to stay close to home. If I can find a way to get the global global ecosystem, the global private sector, to give them jobs where they are, so they don't have to move. They can have good jobs and stay close to their families, stay close to the communities where they can give back as opposed to crossing borders. And even when they cross borders, the lives they have are often a lot less dignified, using that word again, and often you know, much worse than, than where they came from if they had good opportunity. So I want, to, I want to change this. Wow, incredible and beautiful and so significant and crucial. Um, and COVID definitely, you know, created the narrative and created, made it mainstream, the idea of remote work. But you were doing this before 2020. What yes. did you see before this pandemic and this revolution for remote work that others yeah. couldn't back then in the old normal? Yeah. So I guess, as a, you know, from my academic world, I've always worked with people who are not in the same country, the same city as I were. So we're doing research projects and we live in different countries, working on the same project, writing the same paper, doing the same research, interviewing similar people. So I was used to this transnational way of working. And then I I actually got my first remote job with this UK stroke US organization. So my 
immediate boss was in Abu Dhabi where I live, mm-hmm. but my team where I work with were in the New York office. So I had, you know, suddenly to think, right, I have to navigate this. And I was used to, because of working from the academic perspective with other academics in different parts of the world, I was used to this. So we just sort of worked around it. And I saw just how powerful it was for me as a parent and also not wanting to do the same thing and go to an office every day. For me, it was amazing. So when I started doing research on on livelihoods for refugees, one of the big um, recommendations of our project was why not change a narrative for employment? Why not promote remote work for refugees? But of course, this this is 2017. So I wrote wrote an article for the World Economic Forum in 2017 about remote work for refugees. And, you know, at that time I was speaking to people and companies are saying remote work, we can't do that. Like, why? Come to an office, come to our office. You know, they can't, you can't possibly work from home. So, you know, so up until COVID happened, a lot of my work in trying to get the project off the ground was trying to convince people that this is possible. And I'd say to them, but listen, I work remotely. Like, yeah, but you're different. I'm like, why am I different? It's right. completely possible to work remotely. And, <laughs> and I think before COVID, you know, I was sort of, I spoke in a few interviews, a few podcasts, but there was no real movement toward it. As soon as COVID happened, literally in March, suddenly lots of emails and calls and people saying, <laughs> can we speak? How can we get this project to happen? And that's when we actually launched because people realized it was possible. Amazing. Yeah, it's really um, telling that it took a global pandemic for um, the collective and and people, you know, who are so tied to the traditional way. Yes. To finally accept that um, work can still happen uh, with a little bit more flexibility and independence. And that actually increases inclusion, diversity um, across the board. And so we've really seen that at We Are Rosie too um, with remote right. work. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been a big shift. So um, that's beautiful. And then, you know, if it wasn't COVID um, with the work that you're doing, was there was there a defining moment that you knew that this is the kind of work that you wanted to be doing or that you knew that you had to take action in this way? Well, as I always say, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't plan to set up a company, to set up a social enterprise. It was kind of by accident. I was a researcher. I guess I, I still am a researcher. But I was doing research, again, as I said, on livelihoods for refugees and looking at organizations which are doing stuff. And I found a gap. So there was lots of great technical skills training programs, but there was no link to employment. There was definitely no link to remote employment. But there was also a gap in the sort of soft skills to help people access this employment. So I saw this gap. I looked around. There was no one filling the gap. And I met my co-founder just around the time I was sort of in the middle of some research. And she said, you know, so I wanted just to do more research to understand the space, you know, to, you know, to see what people were doing, what people were saying. And she says, no, 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 we have to start something. So what, after our first call, she said, but aren't we starting something? I said, and I thought, well, I thought we're just doing research. She says, no, 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 we're starting something. So it was kind of by force that she was like, right, we're doing this. This is a gap. No one's doing it. We have to do it. And that's kind of what propelled me to do it. And now she, you know, she has a, you know, sort of a, a, full, a full-time remote job, quite a, quite a big job. So she doesn't really have time. So I'm the one who's sort of taken the reins and sort of mm-hmm. moved forward with it. 
So while she's still a very big support, I do all of the, I do all of this stuff. Um, but that's what, you know, but doing that research and seeing the gap made me realize that I have to do it because no one else is doing it. And I'm not sure whether they weren't doing it because, because they thought they didn't think it was important or, mm. or whether they just didn't see the gap. But mm. for whatever reason, no one did it. And we filled that space. Wow. Like that. And that is truly how change happens. It's, it's a lot of identifying those gaps and just being brave enough to do it. So thank you to you and your partner for going on this mission. Um, well, I'm not sure <laughs> brave is the right word. Sometimes I think it's foolhardy because sometimes it's just so hard. <laughs> sometimes, I wish I could, sometimes I wish I could have a normal life. But as I said to a friend this weekend, you know, I said, oh my goodness, sometimes I wish that I can have a regular job where someone just tells you what to do and I do it. And he said to me, Lorraine, you had that last year and you were so miserable. Why do you think this is what you need? This is what, what you're meant to be doing. And I said to him, okay, yes, you're right. But sometimes I like to, to imagine that this is what I would like to do. But I know it's, it's it won't ever happen. It's truly yeah. fair. It's truly fair. I know. We, uh, we have the same conversations. Uh, we are Rosie. It's really based on this like soul calling, like a mission to create change and being, um, being on the forefront of that is definitely not an easy position to be in. And so um, it requires a lot of, a lot of self care <laughs> and a lot of, um, it's not a normal life. It's not a normal life at all, but it's no. really based. And I think it's, it's critical, critical work that you're doing. Um, and, you know, I was just wondering, about you and your uh, partner who created Namal, um, was there uh, outside of just the gap? Um, was there a broader mission that has led you to to do this with um, refugees and remote work? Well, I guess it sort of goes back to my passion for working with refugees. I mean, um, when I was in my twenties in London, I was a volunteer the Refugee Council, so I've always been interested in sort of helping and supporting people, and that sort of experience is sort of quite seminal for me because it made me realize this is what I want to do I want to work with refugees and it took me many years to come back to a space where I was doing stuff so my first you know so more, my more my first sort of more recent work with refugees was more academic I did academic papers about the Syrian crisis and education for refugees and then and then with and then my first remote job was sort of more policy oriented sort of again doing research to understand the space and understand the private sector engagement so I always knew that I was on a mission to do something, but I didn't really, you know, as I said, I didn't really plan to set, you know, to set up NAML. It was just something that happened, but I always knew that I, that I wanted to do something, but I thought that thing would be research. I didn't think it would be actually doing something, but using my research to support the narrative change. Mm, beautiful. Um, tell me a little bit about the narrative that you are pushing to change with your mission? Well, I guess, you know, the big narrative, as I mentioned earlier, was in the West, we have this perception that refugees are coming to our borders because they want to live in Europe, they want to live in America. You know, they, 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 they dislike where they live. They, you know, they're coming because they want, you know, they just want to take what we have. That's the narrative that a lot of, you know, that's, that's being propagated by the media, mm. by social media about why refugees flee. But that's not the case. I mean, 
you know, just a, a refugee's fleeing because there's, you know, he can't live where, he or she can't live where, you know, in their home country. They're fleeing political violence. They're fleeing a war. They don't want to come to another country. They have no choice. So most refugees actually settle in neighboring countries. There are lots of, you know, most Syrians live in the countries surrounding, surrounding Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey. The number that come to Europe such a small percentage of those that are close to home and refugees stay close to home because they want to return home at some point. The ones that leave, the ones that, you know, the cross, the cross, the, the, you know, the cross the sea, but arrive in Greece and in, 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 in Italy, they leave because they have no opportunity in Jordan, in Lebanon. In Lebanon, refugees have very limited access to employment. They can work in construction or agriculture. Similar in Jordan, the sectors are wider, but they have very little access to dignified employment. They often work informally in precarious, in precarious conditions. They can't, it's very difficult for them to have a dignified life. And often a lot of them are quite highly skilled and they aren't allowed to, to practice what they've learned. So they cross borders because they're frustrated and we would be, every, anyone would be, you know, and that's why people migrate. If we, you know, in the West, especially in Europe, we think of migrants as sort of highly skilled people that go to be doctors and teachers and nurses and engineers, other countries. Why is it okay for someone who's British, white, usually male, to migrate, but not equally, you know, not equally valid for someone who is brown, who is Muslim, who comes from a, a, a non-first world country to, to move for better opportunity? Why is, why is it different? So I want to you know, change the narrative that the people who are coming are fleeing because they have no choice, but also to give them the opportunity to make, a, to make that choice. I have, you know, okay, I, I am no longer a refugee. It's safe in my, in my host country. It's safe in my country. I want to stay where I am, but I want to have access to the world. I want to shop on Amazon. I want a credit card. Why can't I do that? Because I'm from Africa, because I'm from Syria. It's completely unfair. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> I, I love it. And I think that that is, uh, that narrative truly is not what your average American will see in the media. And if, I resonate so deeply with what you say, firstly, because I'm Iranian American. And secondly, <laughs> you know, my people have been really um, marred by the narrative um, and it's affected opportunities. It's, you know, we're lucky though, you know, cause like there's, there's, you know, our situation and my family's situation is is very privileged in comparison to others, but the stigma of being Iranian sticks. And it's yes. very similar to why I launched before we were banned to, to your point. It's yes. we're just people living in these things called borders. Exactly. <laughs> so yes. um, if something terrible is happening within the border that we live in, we don't want to leave we must exactly. leave and then once we do leave we must find a way to thrive wherever we are and so yes. that um which is very similar also to we are rosie like to give equal access to anyone regardless of their identity um yeah and i really think that that part of the work that you do is so important because it 
I'm, I'm certain it weaves in your research and your ability to oh, tell a story with facts. Definitely. Yes, <laughs> and definitely. so that storytelling is so critical to the plight of uh, refugee workers um, yes. because that's it, it, you know, it combats the stigma. Yes. And also with remote work, I feel it's a democratization of employment. You know, when you go to a traditional office, you, you sort of wear your identity on your shoulder. You're Muslim, you're, people, you're a person of color, you're female. You have a, a particular status because of your ethnic origin, because of your religion, because of your, nation, because of your nationality. Whereas remote work, it kind of strips away all of those things. So often, you know, I, and this is my hope for the employer, it doesn't really matter what you look like. It doesn't really matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter what your accent is. It doesn't ma matter what, what your first language is. You can do the work. You're good to work with. You can, you, you know, you, your output is good. And that's all that should matter. All the others, all the other things, it shouldn't matter. And that's why I feel remote work is just so important because it allows everyone to have access. That's the hope. I could not agree more. And, and that is one of the outcomes from this really horrifying pandemic is one outcome is um, the normalization of remote work and, yeah. and the, the benefits of it. So it's not just the flexibility and, oh, I, I don't have to commute, but we're talking about increased diversity and inclusion. We're talking about sustainability, not taking yeah. so many people in cars. We're talking about um, honoring the mental health of people who might not thrive in an office setting. So the ripple effects are really uh, critical. That's really like the core of what we talk about at the Rosie Report. So um, I'm, it's yeah. really incredible to hear that from you as well. And yeah. I will end our conversation sadly because I don't want to end our conversation. But, <laughs> I don't need to do But um, what do you think the ideal future of work for refugees looks like? I want to make this a norm. And recognizing that remote work isn't for them, you know, it, 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 isn't, uh, it isn't something that, you know, for the, for the masses. It's still quite a niche thing. People who have the right technical skills. I want it to be a norm where an organization thinks, okay, I have these jobs. I can't fill the job within my local talent pool. I need to look more, you know, more globally. But in fact, I want, I, I want an employer to think, I want the best talent. I don't care where they are. I want them, I want to look globally. It doesn't matter whether they're from Sudan or whether they're from Georgia mm. or whether they're from California. I want the best talent to do this job. Where can I find this talent? That's what I want to happen. So I don't want employers to think I'm hiring a refugee. I want them to think I'm hiring this talented individual. Yes, they're a refugee, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want, you know, a refugee is only a political title. It means nothing. I want them to realize that I'm hiring this individual who has this skill, who has this talent. That's all yeah. I'm concerned about. I love it. Beautiful. Um, this is definitely a story that everyone needs to listen to and, and, and recognize is important what you say about refugee is a political title it's so true once again we're all humans looking well, exactly. for opportunities and looking to use our talents without um any sort of label to discriminate against and exactly and 
yeah yeah really really well said Lorraine yeah and also everyone wants to look after their families and you know and for me this is the most powerful part of NAML whilst recognizing that, that that remote work is just for you know just for a limited number there's a ripple effect so if we have two or three people within a community who have the skills to do this who don't have to leave their communities the entire community benefits because they have a they have a much larger disposable income they can create you know they can create jobs by, by, by being an entrepreneur on this side you know they will give back more to their communities because a lot of you know a lot of people from the developing world live in live in collective societies where the community is as important as the uh, as as the uh, you know as the as the single unit family mm-hmm. so the ripple effect i think is just as powerful as giving one refugee a job you're not giving one refugee a job you're supporting the community in which they come from much more so than you know that that us from you know from sort of western societies where we just you know mostly focus on our family units yeah. it's much greater than that absolutely i think that's a huge mindset shift going from individualistic or nuclear to um collective, collective. community yeah. yeah yeah so i mean let's do all we can to change the narrative whether we talk about it whether we write about it and you know and let's not be afraid to challenge the negative perceptions when we see it because it's everywhere how can we challenge it and sort of feel safe to challenge it absolutely lorraine <laughs> this has been such an incredible conversation thank oh you so much for sharing your journey and story with me and the rosie report um before we sign off where can people find your work online so our website and then there's a contact form there so just contact me there i'm on linkedin namel on linkedin and twitter but go to the website and the links to all the social media is on the website okay amazing we'll include those links in the show notes yeah. for everyone um and i'm so excited uh this is the first episode of season 2 um wow i know very exciting um and in the vein of past the mic Tune in next week when Lorraine talks to Tammy B Ellen, founder and CEO yeah. of Workplaceless. I'm so excited to hear that conversation. Until then, subscribe to the Rosie Report podcast on Spotify and Anchor and be sure to check out more stories on building a future of work for everyone by everyone at the rosiereport.com. <laughs>